You're listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time podcast. Let me set the scene. Imagine you've managed to secure a place in a highly competitive degree. In fact, only 12 students make it into your cohort. It's an intense three years, but after graduating, you manage to secure a position with the third largest Australian company in your industry. It's amazing. This is what you've been working for. You've beaten the odds and now you're in. But how does a fresh face navigate a room full of talent you've admired for years? Today, our artistic director, Lee Lewis, sits down in the Our Town rehearsal room with two recent QT acting graduates who found themselves in this exact position. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another session of uh, Quality Time with Queensland Theatre. Uh, we've been doing a podcast series for the last year now. When we shut down a year ago because of COVID, we wanted to find ways to actually reach out to our audience and stay in touch with you as uh, we couldn't put our plays on our stages, which is actually our job. So now the world has changed again and we are back on stage and in a very exciting position and quite a unique position in Queensland and in Australia to be among some of the few theatre companies in the world performing at the moment. And we're in rehearsal on Thornton Wilder's Our Town, which is a big American classic. It's the most performed play in America. And it's very dear to my heart, probably because I first encountered it when I was about 10 doing speech and drama. And uh, it's stayed with me ever since. You carry, you carry your books around the world with you. And I've had a copy of this book all my life with little notes in the, in the margins about what I really thought was going on. So I've, I've got little bits of memory of how I thought about it when I was 10. <laughs> it's very different to now. But I'm joined today by two young artists who are encountering Our Town for the first time in two very different roles. And we were joking just earlier as we were getting started, uh, and I was like, oh, we're going to talk about what it's like to be starting in the industry and encountering encountering plays and start, st- leaving drama school and leaping into a professional production. And they were like, oh, that old chestnut. I'm like, <laughs> that's not an old chestnut. That's a new chestnut from your points of view. So, Egan and Lucy, you have just graduated from QUT. Who would have thought? Who would have thought, given that your third year collapsed into a Zoom-created, very strange, very strange experience, suddenly this lands in your lap? What did you think, Lucy, when you got the thing saying, well, I don't know how it came to you, the email saying, hey, we're doing this play, Uh, would you come in for an audition? What did you think? I was quite surprised. I feel like I've just been, like, in in surprise mode, though, for the last... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Maybe two months, though, so... And I actually had this hiking trip planned with my mum and I was like, well, I'm going hiking. So, so you know, it's not going to, you know, this, this play isn't going to, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I, I, just, I just never thought of it as a possibility. I just thought I'd turn up uh, for the audition. But I was very flattered. I was very flattered and surprised. And I'd never read the play, actually. What was it like to read it for the first time? Confusing. I was very confused. Why? It didn't read like a period piece. And I had to read it a couple of times to kind of get my head around it. And it was one of those situations where I was like, I'm not going to be in this. 
but uh, I'm going hiking in Tasmania. But I'm I'm not going to be in this. But I'm glad that I've I've like it's 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 made me read it anyway. Yeah, I was just glad that I got to read it and explore it. That was sort of my main takeaway, to be honest. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of had the same thing because it was like it was like so many like breaking of these conventions and then remembering that it was like that period time. Even reading like the stage directions because like. Thornton was just really I know him. <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's like like I know who he is. like like I've met him. Like he was very particular in like his stage directions, and I was trying to like map it in my brain, just going like, okay, so he's coming from the left, and then oh, he's just speaking to the audience now. But I read it, and like everything comes together. It just feels really solemn to me. Yeah. Everything is what it is, and that's okay. I kind of really like that whole community sort of aspect of the play. Everyone knows each other and like has a fond relationship with each other. But mm. yeah, that's how what I kind of felt. So I do get what you're saying, like confusing. Oh, look, it's that funny thing, isn't it? When we think about period work, we expect it to be conservative or that thing of old-fashioned formally. We've got a sort of a blanket sort of thought about what older work is and what it means. And when you go back and you find quite radical thought inside the plays, you kind of go, oh, okay. I didn't, it's always a surprise to find thoughts that we think are quite modern inside older works, mm. especially when it comes to form. And in 1938, sort of, it's that funny thing of remembering that Brecht was incredibly influential at that point. And not as influential as he would become, but in theatre circles, absolutely. And remembering that theatre people have always talked about works that they've seen on the other side of the world, or I heard so-and-so did this. I think that Thornton Wilder was so well-travelled and connected to an international community of artists, and even though that meant letters and that sort of stuff, it still was there. So that hearing about how things are done and different ideas could seed in people around the world. And it was quite a radical time. It's, it's interesting when you read the foreword to the book, the Penguin edition, he's got an essay in it where he talks about why he wrote this. He wanted to wake theatre up because he was looking at various things that kind of like our mainstream theatre now, which is kind of dead in certain ways. And he was trying to wake people up. But yeah, it is an interesting thing. And it does, this play does grow on you as you work on it because on the page, it looks quite simple. Mm. It looks like there's not much there until you start, you know, it's like Howie Newsom delivering the milk, right? Yeah. Is that who you're playing? You're playing yeah, Harry Newsom. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's like... The Milkman. The Milkman. And you go like, oh, that's just an everyday person, but there's so much necessity. Well, it used to be an everyday person. used to be an everyday person. It's one of those things that's been phased out in time. It's, and it's... I always thought that it was like a need from the community as well, like that need for that also engagement. A Milkman goes see everyone. And like, especially in a small town, everyone knows each other. And building that sort of relationship with everyone we don't get that as much especially for city folk we just like walk out but when you go to such like a small town you kind of just miss that a lot I don't I always envy that getting to know everyone just because it's and having like these small conversations of like just about the weather can just mean so much oh it's just I don't know I don't know what like the feeling is but I can feel it but it's like I don't know how to articulate it's just like all I can put is like a little bit of appreciation and acknowledgement that you're like we're in it together yeah it's interesting that thing of the 
the ties that bind a community together. And I think over the, the last 20, 30 years, I think country towns have actually mourned the loss of those, the ties that bind, like the person that delivered your milk or your bread, the contact with the humans. I mean, it used to be you knew, you knew your garbage men too, uh, but now there's, the, you know, you put it out and the machine picks it up and dumps it in the truck and things like that. So it's really interesting to look at, at, at someone like a Howie Newsom as he heads around the town each morning delivering all the milk, usually before people are up. You know, they used to just leave leave the money on the porch and that would tell the milkman how many bottles. Yeah. Uh, I like how the, oh, you were talking about these things like the milk, like the sound of milk clinking in the morning. And you was, wake up to that. And yeah. you wake up and it was like that sort of like that's your daily clock for you. Yeah. And I was like, our daily clock is normally our phone or just whatever we feel like now because we don't have that sort of... Well, it's true. The, the farmers would get up and milk the cows and then the, it would go through the separator and then it would get in, so be in the bottles and then it would be delivered and that yeah. happened around about the, the time that the cows would wander in, you know. So mm. you could, so it was set around the timings of the day, the mm. clocks of the day were set around the, the light in the sky and now it's not so much yeah. that. But it's that thing that like binds us together because yeah. it's like, Everyone. If you're, well, if you're running late, then <laughs> yeah, everybody's running, running late. late so. <laughs> so on those days, you know, and there's a lovely, there's a lovely mix of like there's the, there's the jiggle of the milk bottles early in the morning, and then the factory whistle. The factory is like the factory whistle is industry, and the and that pressure between the old industries and the new industries, mm. the clinking of the milk bottle to the factory whistle, which one is connected to the sun and which is connected to a clock. Yeah, and there are all these layers of details inside Thornton Wilder's writing, which it's funny, on the surface of it can seem very simple and then as you dig down further and further it touches on things which are it's, it, detail and detail, which is really, it's kind of appalling as a director because you're like, oh, my God, are we going to get to all of that? <laughs> or, But also rewarding, really rewarding, in that every time you think you've got it, you just go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. So I'm looking forward to doing this play 20 years from now (laughs) (laughs) when I really have got it. (laughs) What have been some of the surprises that you found in working on it, things that you hadn't realised were in there or revelations? I think I I was talking talking to someone about this. We all had a little moment of like how we can like throughout the play that the surprises of everyone's sense of community or where it's come from and how we relate it to our own lives. I found that quite surprising hearing everyone's like different stories and how some some traditions still stay the same throughout time. I remember we were talking about Jimmy's community at Thursday Island and I found it like, especially with his bloodline roots and going through all the the systems and like how everyone knows that's the doctor and that's the doctor for everyone. He gave birth to everyone. I was like, wow, that's like still happening in our time. And you think, you sense that sort of those things fade or like wean away, but like they still are here with us. Yeah, the early process for, if everybody's listening, the early process of working on a play is we sit around the table and we tell a lot of stories. And it's really about everybody in the room getting to know each other because you've got to create a sense of family and deep knowledge very quickly. It's a very strange job that we've all got. We come into come in on day one to a room full of a lot of strangers, and by the by the time we're on stage, we're actually representing very deep and complex relationships. So, the rehearsal process is really about how do you accelerate that? How do you make that go faster? And Often that happens with people sharing stories about why they understand a particular moment in the play. And that 
tends to flesh out the play emotionally for, for everybody. You go, oh, yeah, it is like that. And it reminds you of your own personal connections and things like that. What it looks like on the outside is a whole chat fest. We read through the play and I fling in, I fling in various things about growing up in my small country town, which I hated and couldn't wait to leave. And then there are people like, oh, yeah, you know, I left and I went across to, went to America and then I came back. And now in COVID times, I'm really appreciating family in ways that I hadn't before. So there's a lot of that conversation and there are lots of snacks involved in doing that. And then we get up on the floor and we start, we try to like find a way to move all of that personal knowledge into an active and enacted space. But it does, does look, it would look really weird to an outsider. What are you guys actually doing? Which is why we don't let people into the rehearsal room very often. <laughs> um, mostly because the conventions of a rehearsal room, kind of like the conventions of a small country town, if you're from that town, you understand it and you tolerate it and some things drive you crazy, but you kind of love it. If you're not from that small country town, you go, these people are nuts. And I feel quite shut out of it. So we're just in the middle now of standing it up on its feet and kind of, oh, where do I stand? And yes, it is it actually, it's an, sort of an awkward process because everybody's got a kind of picture in their heads and no one more so than Thornton Wilder. Of, of all of the playwrights I've ever worked on, he is... <sighs> He's earned the right to be prescriptive. His, his stage directions are there for such a particular reason, the directions people are coming from. It's part of the geography of the town that he sets up. And the geography is really specific and prescriptive. If you try and move where the churches are, things start to not make sense. If you try and move where the high school is, things start to not make sense. And across the across the 80-some years since it was written. I think directors have tried to wrestle with it and create different directions, but it's really hard. You can, but you fight this theatrical intelligence working behind it that has has put the high school there for a really specific reason, spatially, has put the sound of the train in a particular direction for a reason. And when you start to mess around with that, it's kind of weird. So as soon as you start to jump up as an actor, you kind of go, really? Does he really mean come in from stage right? And you do it. And you kind of go, oh, yeah, that kind of works. <laughs> so it's really weird. You feel, I don't know, the ghost of Thornton Wilder going, no, come in from the right, goddammit. And if you want to have an argument with Thornton Wilder, you've got to have a really strong reason to bend it, I suppose. And it can, I think things can bend, but he's probably the toughest of all of them. And he doesn't seem like it on the surface. We all know about Beckett and the Beckett estate and you all know Arthur Miller's got quite a strong voice in there, but he's weirdly gently stronger in a funny way. How do you imagine, how do you imagine people are going to find the play? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you know, okay, let me put it a different way. What do you want them to walk, what, what do you want them to walk away with? What do you want them to do? I, I think... The ultimate goal is a greater appreciation for for life. I think for me, um, I don't know, before you were sort of saying how you were angry at being from a small town, and I think I still am a bit, having grown up in a small town, I think that's sort of, I don't know, there's part of that, I, I, I think there's a reason that you leave anyway, um, but... I think maybe even Libby was sort of saying this the other week, that there is actually something really beautiful in wanting to stay and something really beautiful about being in a small community and those parts of it. And now I'm reminiscing about, like, 
we were talking about debutante balls and I was even thinking about country shows and, you know, entering like Ooh. jams and chutneys and things and that. And I think we talk about, oh, because since you're from Grafton, yep. Lucy, we talk about, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think every year a conversation comes up about the Jacaranda Festival. Yeah. Like, is it coming? Yeah. Is it happening? What's happening? Let's go. Let's yeah. all do like a trip together. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Like there's... There's there's a like a jacaranda queen and there's this whole pageant and we had the lilac festival in Goulburn. Did you enter? The, the, I did not. I, I, see, I did. I didn't win. Which I think did was you enter? You entered and I, didn't win. I don't know. I had a phase where I was like, "This is for me," and it 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 um <coughs> it was not. So but look, there was definitely a parade, and I used to. I used to oh, ride floats, floats, yes. floats yep. and I used to ride my bike in the Lilac Time Parade. I used to decorate my bike mm. and ride it in the Lilac Time Parade. Yeah. There are photos of that somewhere that will never be seen. But, <laughs> but yeah, that that is that funny thing, isn't it? What I find in I pro- probably Thornton Wilder was the, the being that taught me how to respect the staying because mm. I was such a. I'm always going to leave. Yeah, I always had a a vision of a world beyond and I was furious that my parents were locking me up in a small country town where there was no art and no culture and, and mm. real culture was everywhere else. So I ran away as soon as I could. And it was, I mean, I go back now and it's a beautiful town and I have an enormous respect for the people that that choose a life of staying and invest in community. And But I think I had to learn that by going away. And I think listening to Thornton Wilder helped mm. as opposed to who are you people and why do you do this? I just went, that, how do we respect other people's choices deeply? And I think at the moment, I mean, gosh, it's funny time, isn't it? Watching America fall apart at the moment because opinions have been so polarised that people at the extremes cannot respect the people at the other extremes. There is no respect for thought that is not your own. I find that devastating and sort of antithetical to everything that Thornton Wilder is talking about. And that question of how do we live together and what do we have to do? How do we have to respect other people? Not be them, but just respect them so that they can exist with as much integrity as we expect to have ourselves. I don't know, I find it very, so deeply sad to be doing this play that celebrates a deep American value (laughs) uh, at a time when they're so lost politically speaking, and politically just means people, really. I mean, to, I woke up to news to, this morning of, yeah, of the Capitol mm. being stormed by people because they believe that the, the election was rigged. And with a, such a fundamental shift in a state like Georgia, you go, what is, what is actually happening? The people, you know, a, a woman was shot inside the Capitol. And you go, how, how is that, I suppose, beacon of a particular type of politics of democracy, if you like, so disintegrating in front of my eyes. Am I watching the fall of an empire? And is this play an elegy rather than a celebration? It's a really interesting moment to be to be listening to one of the great American voices who still believed in that those American ideals. And then we, I think, would like even more interesting is how we Australians would picture that as well. Because I remember we had like massive conversations during script dances like, if an American saw this, they would see it like this. But then with our Australian voices, what does that mean for us? Is this a reflection on our Australian society? And is this what we need after a year of lockdown or is it even something bigger than that? Yeah. Oh, look, it was definitely a question. Like this, 
programming this play isn't something I thought of because I, I moved up to I moved up to Brisbane at the beginning of last year before COVID, so I had January and February <laughs> and a little bit of March, and then you know, and it was this it was a very interesting time. A lot of conversations with with Queensland artists about about what the company is, where the company's going, what they want from their company, and all all the while trying to put together a, a twenty twenty one season, and then. In March, we were suddenly at a, a moment where will there even be theatre in 2021? So questions about vision and what vision you can have when actually the job is to make sure a company survives through a crisis so that a next generation has a theatre company. It becomes less about your vision and, and the pragmatics of how do you how do you keep people employed? What can you do? And the job is still to put on plays. So somewhere in the middle of the year, it was like, okay, well, what are we actually going to do? If there can be a 2021, what could we do? And and it's that funny thing where you make a decision based on pragmatics and then you kind of go, oh, now I'm going to make it. <laughs> now I'm going to do the play. And you hope that those decisions play out well for an audience. It's always a gamble, but that's kind of what being an artistic director is. You're always looking forward to the next year going, I hope this feels right at the time, but you don't know. Mm. You pretend like you know. Um, you know, season launch, you're very confident about everything. And they, but it's all a bit smoke and mirrors, really. And you're waiting, you're looking to see if those stories appeal to people. And now we're in the room in the January, the Imagine January. I'm just glad we're in the room. I feel yeah. like the world feels so small at the moment. I don't know. Mm. That That's just how it sort of feels to me. And so, yeah, even the idea that we can sit here right now and, <laughs> and do this, like... I kind of feel the opposite, though, because it's like 16 people in the room and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so many faces. Now I have to remember everyone's names, (laughs) especially after a year of like, I only need to see one person in a computer screen. Oh, my gosh, there are other people and they're real. No, it's such a relief. (laughs) And even people sharing personal stories like, oh, I love that. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just love gossip, but I, I just, I just want to want to know everything. Yeah, um. yeah. It's true, though. That funny feeling of going, oh, this is a lot of people. That's a lot of information coming from sixteen bodies in a room. You kind of yeah. go, yeah, right. We that that skill of reading that many people. It's kind of got a little rusty for me. I'm like, okay. I remembered yesterday we started up on the floor with sixteen bodies walking around the room, and I remembered. My eyes were remembering what it is to see that way because it's a different kind of focus. It was slightly different for me because the company kept working and we did ha- we did manage to do in the podcasts last year, we did manage to do it. The, the, the chairs were two metres away from each other, <laughs> but we, we, we were still working as a small company. So we still did see people. It was a small group of people, but we still I still did get to see people, whereas you guys were very much on screen, at home and on screen for a chunk of time, weren't yeah. you? Well, I... I did COVID at my parents' house. So I went back to Grafton because my parents have a property. They have a farm because I, I was like, I, I'll just need the space. <laughs> I need, I don't know, is that a small town thing that we like our personal space? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. And maybe that killed me a bit being isolated with my parents for so long. But uh, it was funny because because small towns, well, the one that I was in anyway, COVID wasn't there. So people were definitely aware and scared of getting sick, but it was almost like it was an isolated community in a way. So there was less, like life just kind of went on a bit. There were certain things you couldn't do, but it was sort of normal, but I couldn't go back to Brisbane because then I was in the border. border. Mm. 
Um, and then I Zoomed all day, which was <laughs> a whole other time. But um, I think you were quite lucky, though, because I think you had the best internet quality out of everyone when we Zoomed. Everyone kept, like, crashing and then, like, had to do like those weird messages like, sorry, my internet just died. We'll change to my mobile data. But I had this thing, I had this thing um, <laughs> when we were doing this play on Zoom and my parents kept having blackouts and I just totally forgot that that was a, that was a thing because there's not as many towers and so you get more blackouts in the country and my mum was like, oh, maybe it'll come on tomorrow and I was like, oh, mum, I've got to do this thing on <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> Oh, look at it. It's been a, I suppose it's a funny year to have had to then come into this play in a funny way. But see, I, I, people have said to me, oh, third year must have been really hard. And I don't know, I, I think it put my life into perspective a bit. It could have been so much worse. Mm. I mean, I mean we're, we're actors. Like, you know, it could have been so much worse. I just, I just feel very lucky actually it's just look I think there's a whole layer of people going no actually I'm okay yeah and last year was not a bad year and I think we know as a country that we're fortunate to be able to have those stories Mm. and while individuals have had really difficult years I think it's also important for people who have had okay times for that to be part of the story too and that you're not carrying this huge burden of guilt that you didn't have a terrible year because I think people who've had terrible years don't want everyone to have had a terrible year. No, but you always feel like you should. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I think, again, it's quite a a unique thing in the scheme of the world. I think Australia is going to carry a lot of guilt over the next 20 years for knock on wood that, you know, we've kind of been fortunate to be in a a kind of a locked down island space. What our relationship to the rest of the the rest of the world is, is, will be, is going to be weird because we will have had very different experiences insofar as mortality and oppressive presence of death. Mm. And you kind of get reading the stories, you, you kind of go, you try and read them to stay in touch with what's actually happening in the world while we're living a very different reality. But no, I think what I have noticed is with the impact of COVID on employment and school, um, so, on so many layers of functional society, people have ended up back at home with parents a lot more. And so parents have had their children back in their homes and lives more and there's been lovely things to do with that and then really aggravating things to do with that, like going, oh, God, because it's that thing that having your kids back home can be a blessing and a curse. Adult people in your house with their own opinions about how things should be done, when you've actually got used to them being gone, I think there's this... There's some some great joys at this time, but also some great aggravations. Is there uh, something about being in your parents' house as well where you, like, I digress about 10 years. Re- oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. You go back to behaving like you like you did at a certain point and then you go to yourself, what am, I, am I doing, doing that? Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a sort of a nostalgia and also a shadow of another self that you have that you, that you deal with, yeah. So I think there's there's that information in the in the room, group of people in the room this year. You know, some some are parents who've been dealing with with kids and schooling, and some have got older kids. But everybody everybody's brought different experiences of this last year into this room, and it's mm. it's been interesting looking at the the older actors looking at the younger actors, going, "I remember what it was like to have that kind of energy," <laughs> you know, um, and and that funny thing of what I suppose. So I have a question for you and it's really about the encounter with older generations of actors and what that feels like in a room. 
So uh, after the last sort of three years of performing with people, your sort of your own peer, your peers, you know, sort of in your own age bracket. You know that funny thing when you go through drama school, everybody, everybody's playing older characters. You that play was, older. I, I only played like old, old hags. Old. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm now playing a 14-year-old, which is bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so closer yeah. to your actual, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's so close. So, yeah, it's that funny thing where you, you, you go through this strange time where you're only with your own sort of age group and then suddenly you encounter actors who are much older doing the, th- doing the roles that you would have played. Right. What is that like? I feel like I've been doing a lot of watching. I don't know. I've, I feel like I've... Because my professional experience is so incredibly limited, I feel the need to just observe everyone and watch everyone. And I don't know if that's really doing me any favours at all. Maybe people are a bit turned off by that. But uh, I think, yeah, I think everyone has been so welcoming and so... Something, something I didn't expect was that people wanted to create bonds, I guess, if that makes sense. Like they wanted to, cre- they wanted to connect, particularly people like Hugh and Amy who were playing my parents. Like they were quite, I don't know, willing to be open and form some kind of relationship outside in order to strengthen that. Or maybe they were just very nice people. But I, I love that and I didn't expect that, I think, because I've taken for granted that I've been with a cohort of people for three years and we've all just had to connect <laughs> in that space. But I kind of get what you said mm. about the watching though. That's the only thing that sort of stayed constant with me. Like, what are they doing? Like, like, what's their secret? I always, <laughs> I, I always love it when I get to see other actors just work. Even with my own cohort, I just go like, Lucy, you're crazy. That's brilliant. <laughs> like I keep telling you this every time. When you see other actors with their wealth of experience and sort of insight into something, you just become mesmerised with their brain in a bit. And I think people are quite, people are really generous with their, yeah. their knowledge and what they use and what they, um, yeah, that sharing of personal stories. I didn't expect that at all, but it's, it's lovely. And why would I want to only draw my own experiences? It's very limited. So what a blessing. I remember in second year we had that sort of opportunity to work with um, DeBase and we mm. got to work with some professional actors. So we, who were they? It was like Eugene. Eugene. Gilfeder, yeah. Gilfeder. It was Kristen O'Leary and then. Um, Barb Lowing. Barb Lowing. Oh, yeah. I love her. Barb. Um, is that it? I swear there was more. It was a long time ago. This yeah, was pre. Yeah, no, this was pre-COVID. Was pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. Pre-COVID. Ten years ago. Ten years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just yeah, every time just sitting in that room with all these older actors, seeing how their brain work. And like Kristen O'Leary, I remember watching her and like the first show I saw her in was actually Much Ado, like a few years ago here. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. And then sitting across from a room, there's like some sort of. Oh, it's like that celebrity thing sometimes as well. It's just like, oh my gosh, I saw you in that thing. You're Hugh Parker, born like 1946 or something. Oh, <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he was born in 1946, Charlotte. <laughs> Hugh, sorry about that, dude. No, no. But it's like sort of that thing where you just go, like, oh my gosh, you're so amazing. Oh, but it's also working with them as well. You, you treat it as like, well, that's what driving school sort of taught me. It's like you just treat it as it. Normally, but, but it is weird, like weird. how, how, yeah. You've seen them and then like, it's like that interaction of going, oh, you're, you're really nice. Open to like these conversations. It's, it's like surprising, but also, I don't know, not. 
because they're just normal people. That's. I'm, I think I'm. I'm still feeling it out <laughs> a bit, to be honest. I saw. I saw a play you did. You you directed years ago in 2016. What play was that? Was this Rice? Was no, that? no. I've I've only read that, but I saw. I think you did it anyway. It was the homosexuals or faggots. Oh, I saw. Yeah, and definitely. Yes, yes. yes. And I went with my dad as well, which was I don't know, a bit wild. I was like, come on, dad, let's go see this. Yeah, and I. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it was the kind of. Yeah, no, I loved it and he loved it, which was a win because my my parents are not theatre parents, you know. Mm. But there's that kind of thing like, oh, do I like, do I mention that? Do I not mention that? Do I, like, <laughs> do I just, how do I slip that one in? Like, do I just, do I, you know, let that. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of strange being on that borderline of being in the industry but also not because you've been treated like a student and you are, so... Mm. And like we're yeah. quite timeline wise, like we're freaking new. Like it's so it's outrageous that we're here. It's like, it's really we're supposed to graduate. We're supposed to have our graduation ceremony in two weeks. We finished uni in like November, and it's January. It's so bizarre to me that that has happened. Um, I feel very mm. blessed, but I'm stunned that I'm that I'm here. Okay, well, you've got another two weeks to get over being stunned <laughs> yeah, yeah, because yeah. quite surprisingly there's going to be an audience quite yeah, soon yeah. <laughs> yeah. where, you know, you will have had to reconcile that, yep. that, yep. that weird reality yes. um, and actually, you know, perform. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is, an, it is an interesting thing, that question of when, when you – because I, I trained as an actor a long time ago and started working before I graduated and it was a really it was a strange thing to do it gave me a very different path to other other because there's no path like predictable path out of drama school mm-hmm. some people will work straight away some people will take actually quite a long time before they actually find their way into professional work some people will make work very quickly other people will will actually never do that so there is no actual path and it starts to become an interesting relationship with the people that you were with very intensely for three years I don't know I always felt very guilty at the separation that happened straight away it was kind of like because there were these a couple who were like well it's all right for you and I'm like it's not all right for me because just because you get one job doesn't mean you're going to get another one Mm -hmm. and you kind of go so you never get over that weird freelance freelance life of never knowing what's coming next you know the worst the worst question that someone can ask you when you're doing a show so what's next I don't know <laughs> you know um you're just in the thing that you're in and that's the life of the actor is just being in the th- absolutely present in the thing that you're in and not worrying about what's to come, what's what's to come. Mm. yeah I remember I didn't know I was going to be in this show too so it's like I was prepping my resume let's go work at Coles and like got offered the Coles job but then our town came along and I couldn't like, do both do both so I was like Oh no, my normal bike holes. I oh, can't come on. <laughs> well, that's a long-term job. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, only yeah. Yeah. Know. you know. But it's like that you, you it was like unexpected this this opportunity and that's why I'm so grateful. I, d- I didn't even expect to get an agent. Like I didn't <laughs> like it took me years to get into drama school and I didn't even think that would happen and then getting an agent was like, oh, I didn't think Ooh, that would happen either, either, but I didn't even think getting a job like I just I think you have ideas, but I never had the expectations that things would actually happen. And there is something, again, that congruence of the play with that I think that just says all you can do is just be in the moment that you're in. Mm. It's all yeah. you can do because who knows what's – we've had a whole year of who knows what's happening next week. 
you know, I'm conscious that we might not be able to do the play at all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, as numbers go up in, in New South Wales and Victoria and all that sort of stuff, it's entirely possible we might not get to do it. Mm. So I'm kind of just enjoying it day by day. Yeah, mm. even just to rehearse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just to rehearse again. I kind of go, maybe this is all we get to do. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we did Triple X and it got to do two previews and that shut down. And that was awful. So we just just get like getting just there, getting going. just getting there, kind of going. Oh, they were going into that third preview, which is the one where you start to go. Oh, yeah, maybe, 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 and then all the wheels come off, and that's fine. Um, but uh, that getting towards being ready was interrupted, and that was devastating. So I kind of go, oh, look, if we can get it, if we can get a preview in, that'd be great. Then we'll just go mm, one by one. Yeah. But knowing that it will actually be like that, and at any point, the government could say, no, we're shut down. You know, which is not something as an artistic director I really, or as a director I ever really had in my head. You know, things, I'm always ready for people to be sick or not be able to do the play and we've always had things, all had things like that. We kind of, what's my contingency if that one person can't do it? Not, oh, and now we don't do it. You know, that kind of uncertainty, if you like, has now become a norm. I go, okay, so if we can't do that, then we'll do this. And what's the financial loss on that? Okay, so what will that mean for what we can do next year? You know, I've, I've lost that fear that theatre will disappear. I know we'll figure it out. That's the job. But I also go, we might maybe only get to rehearse. I don't know. I think that's almost a wonderful thing in a way because yeah. it's, yeah, as I said, like it makes the big problems big sort problems of go away. Of, yeah. In a funny way, you kind yeah. of go just, what is it to just connect on this day with the people that are in the room? And so many, so many people. <laughs> yeah. How are you going with the names, by the way? Like, are you there? <laughs> I think I think I know Jimmy. <laughs> oh, oh God. Nah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, there's a cheat sheet on the wall I can get okay. you there. Yeah, we fully got everyone's <laughs> contact details. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That old Chester. Yeah, yeah, that's quite important. Quite yeah. important. Mm. <laughs> the things you reveal yeah. on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, down for all t- for all eternity. People listen to this, yeah. and you know, down the track, they'll be like, e- e- "Egan, I'm going to introduce myself to you on yeah. first day. I fully expect you to remember my name." Yes, <laughs> you. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Look, it is that funny thing of like, what? A, how in a rehearsal room do you go from a room full of complete strangers to a community? And the way, like, what have you got to give over to do that? What have you got to be? Will- how have you got to be willing to work? What is that? And especially when it's a big, big room. Yeah, it's easier when it's a two-hander. The work is harder in a funny way. The relationship is harder, but it's a completely different challenge with sixteen. Yeah. yeah. And then you like think about oh, musicals where it's like a fifty to like a hundred actors. I was talking to Amy about that, and she was like, "Yeah, it's really strange. There's no one here." <laughs> she was so so used to being in massive casts. And in some ways, more creative freedom in a way. Well, when you when you're working as this is talking about Amy La Palmer, who Sorry. is yes. <laughs> who is uh, playing Mrs. Webb, which yes. is Emily's mum, and Amy's had a very very successful life in big musicals mm. here in Australia and and around the world. But uh, it is a very different experience for musical theatre people. The amount of time you get to spend on the text. Because often the musical comes in and especially with international musicals and you're doing the Australian iteration of it, you don't have a lot of freedom. You're delivering the, pl- the, the show that was created for Broadway, the West End, and there's a contract and you actually stand on that spot on the stage and it's mm. gridded out. You get a grid number and that's where you stand to deliver that line. And 
and that's the job is mm. and that's the creative job is how do you take that very prescriptive contract and make it make it seem make it original and strong and alive and I, I think Australian musical theatre performers are extraordinary in their capacity to do that that's why I love having them in straight theatre rooms because that capacity they have to invent when the constraint is so huge when you when you cut that free where they can go and what they can do is kind of amazing so mm. it's I, I always enjoy working with Australian musical theatre creators um and that's been, you know, that's been one of those things. Amy decided to move up here, you know, so that she's not, not in Melbourne in lockdown. And you kind of go, that's great. When I heard she was up here, I was like, yeah, I want to work with her. And that's a, a but for her, yeah, a room of only 16. Oh, my God, mm. I'm going to get to know people incredibly well. Yeah. <laughs> and we get to spend all this time on the text. And there are so many possibilities inside that. It's a strange and a very broad group that we brought together to do this play. But I think it'll I think it'll be exciting mm. for people, and also exciting for me to do this play in Australia. You do this play in America, everybody knows the play. Everybody's played Emily or George or the narrator, you know. Like you know, it's kind of like everybody's played with the invisible Bessie. <laughs> you know, it's a very different experience for the audience because they know how the play folds out. Whereas here in Australia, we don't know what the end is going to be, and so Thornton Wilde. It's it's closer to Thornton Wilde's original experience of telling the story where people were encountering it for the first time and it translates surprisingly well I maybe that's why maybe that's why I asked that in the audition mm. because I was told not to do I, I asked American accent and she, no I was like oh okay mm. we'll see won't we <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll see <laughs> yeah I don't know I was curious how that would work and and it does it's funny for me because yes of course it's a very American story but I've always been an Australian-American sitting inside it and it's felt just as familiar to me coming mm. from a small town in Australia as it would to an American and I've never separated them out in my head. I mean, I know the pictures are different, but actually the, exper- the life experiences are not different. Mm. And, and for me, there are some things that in an American accent, I think audiences find hokey and they're not hokey. It's just the, um, the way we push Americanisms away from us because we don't identify with those things. But actually, we do identify with the human thought inside it when it's in our own voice. Mm-hmm. So hearing, hearing our town in our own voice is a really important thing for me so that we're hearing the humans and not the Americans. It's a, mm-hmm. different, it's a different imaginative space. I want people to be thinking about their own families and their own, their own brothers and sisters and their own small towns. And I don't, and I don't think when you when you hear it in the American, I don't think we do, we feel that. I want people to feel the play, not see the play. Mm. So that's why, that's why yeah. no American <laughs> accent. But yes, it was very funny in the audition process watching people come in, going, wrestling with the idea. I guess maybe that's something I thought between the auditions, and definitely by the last one as well. And there were three. I was like, well, why why would they do it in period? What's what's the point? Look, sometimes sometimes when you do a play in full period, exactly as written by the playwright and of the time, you're trying to show people that we are. It's one way of showing people that we're the same across time. You let the audience do the imaginative work of going, oh, my God, that's just like us. Mm. Sometimes when you pull it into, you put a contemporary lens on it, you're doing too much work for the audience. But I don't know. There's something about, sometimes it's very beautiful. 
Sometimes we just like the frocks. Oh, yes, the, <laughs> the magic of a period costume. Oh, yeah. Mm. It does a lot, a lot of work for you. And, you know, I, kinda, I, love Os- uh, I love Oscar Wilde and Noel Coward in period. I don't like them in a contemporary way. In no, a funny it would way, be odd, wouldn't it? oh, it is. Mm. It is really odd. I don't like that at all. So it's just taste, and you know, it's that funny thing. I, I'm very conscious that in a particular time, in a particular place, the imaginative life of a of a city is very influenced by its artistic directors. There are a handful of people around the country that get to choose the plays that audiences see, and your own personal tastes have an influence. And, that, and it's a really funny thing. I go, well, you, you know, some bits you're going to get in period and some bits not, depending on what mm. I like. And that's part of what you're hired to do as an artistic director is to actually follow down your own artistic instincts and see how those, how those, what that conversation is with the audience. So who knows? And I guess you would have to take in the current political, cultural mm-hmm. environment. And it's totally speculative in that it's across time. Yeah. So you've no idea. You're always working a year ahead, two years ahead. True, of course. So, yeah. So it's a really, it is a strange job. If you think your your job is strange, <laughs> walking, walking around with an imaginary horse and imagining yourself as a as a girl at the turn of the twentieth century in 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 America, mm. it, it, my job is just as weird in its own <laughs> way. In its own way, yeah. Yeah. That seems like probably not a bad place to end. Yes. Uh, the weirdness of our jobs. Mm. The weirdness of our jobs as we tackle this extraordinary American classic. Mm. Thank you both. Thank you, Lucy. Thank, Thank you, Egan, for Thanks being for in this conversation. <laughs> and to people a thousand years from now, this is this is who uh, who we are <laughs> in this time at the at the beginning of 2021 in the city of Brisbane with two young actors who were taking their first steps into the professional industry, having had the strangest of COVID years in their third year of training. So watch this space. Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. Please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au, to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye!